FM. CBS Sports Radio. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Long talk. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I did old uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome to the November 28th, 2018 Year of Our Lord edition of the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. That's 285-9555. Or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Here in studio, back from his hiatus, the big crooked Mike Rodak. He's back in uh, back in the saddle. The show actually, uh, we got compliments that it was a lot better last week without you, and not just because you weren't here, but Chris Baker and I. I think we've developed some chemistry. <laughs> Daddy Bakes, hey, Chris Baker, the All athletic was in last week to fill in. Matt Fairburn, the athletic, he's in studio today. He's gonna he's here to talk the Bills and some Sabers. Absolutely. Jonah Bronstein's here. Handling things on Periscope uh, on all our various Twitter accounts. You can see a live stream of this show. Go back and check it out later. And you can also check out the Tim Graham Show on iTunes, SoundCloud. I tweet that out. Go follow the links. Bobby Rosati did on the knobs. He's going to have a busy day. John Vogel's calling in. You're going to talk the Sabres uh, in the second segment here. He's uh, the Sabres writer for The Athletic, formerly of the Buffalo News. He and I covered the team together when it used to be good. And uh, I think there are some comparisons to be made between this year's Buffalo Sabres and the ones uh, that we covered back in 05, 06, 07. The mid-aughts, if you will. I will. I will. Those are the mid-aughts. Great hockey, great energy in the city. It's coming back. We have UB football on Friday. We have UB basketball just continuing to do great things. Playing in Ireland this weekend. Yeah, I want to get into that. Just the. It's a trend. A lot of teams like to play overseas or make some sort of trip overseas, even if it's preseason. Yeah, most do it then. This is right. a bit of a new thing, but Nate Oates was explaining that it, he he thinks this is better. It's financially better for them. They kind of get the trip oh. paid for right. by participating in the tournament partially. Do they, do they profit from it at all? Like, is there any I don't know influx? the exact numbers, actually. The way I understand it, they do pay some money, but they get two home games out of it, and the overall oh, deal right, right, right. is a good deal between the trip to Ireland, the home games, and what they pay, and, and, and it's an exact tournament. Experience. Everybody plays them, but it only counts as one game towards your schedule instead of three. Because oh. I asked about that, because competition-wise, they could have been in a better tournament. But they wanted this trip to Ireland. They they all took a non credit class to learn some about the culture, and they're oh, wow. turning it into a you know a a trip more an, than just a few an games. Experience. Wow, that's cool. It's really cool. Is it? Well, yeah. yeah I, didn't, I, I didn't get to do anything. And the games like are on at five thirty in the morning here, so those will be fun to watch for anybody that <laughs> might have to do that. <laughs> I want to talk about the Bills, <laughs> and we're going to get to the Sabers, of course. We have John Vogel. Uh, he's going to be. Uh, talking with us uh, in the second segment in this hour. 
But I want to talk about the Bills and a realization that uh, that I'm, or I guess a thought that I'm getting more and more comfortable with. It doesn't seem as outrageous to me as it it would have just even a week ago. How about if the Bills go 500? What if the Bills finish eight and eight, and not be considered losers? To go from perhaps the worst team in the league, or at least in a conversation with the New York Giants and the Oakland Raiders there for a good chunk of the first month and a half of the season, to putting together a season in which they can look back and say, we weren't losers. I think, given the way things have gone, it would almost be a disappointment if they finished worse than, let's say, 7-9. and nine. I, I don't want to say it's disappointing if they, if they finish worse than 8-8, eight and eight, but... I mean, they more probably be favored in both the Jets and the Lions games at home. We'll talk to Joel Staniszewski about that. Right. Not quite sure. I think a lot will depend on what happens this week. Right. And uh, whether or not Josh Allen's available, and that's something that you got to wonder about with the way he plays. It's not a given. Um, but the, let's assume that he is. But if the if the Bills fall apart right. and get curb stomped by forty points again, like they were at other points in the season. Uh, then yeah, I think that the the uh, the jet maybe the Jets put together a strong game. I don't know, but the Dolphins game too at the end of the year. I mean that's four weeks out, so it's tough to tell you know what the situation will be for that game. But they're six. They're about five or six point underdogs at Miami on Sunday. The Bills are right, but the Bills beat them twice last year, and I think for the first time this year, the Bills are actually getting into situations now where they are favored to win games by ESPN's metric, which is the football power index. Um, and that is actually three of their last games, over their last five games, they're favored to win. The Jets, the Lions, and the Dolphins at home. So at this point, again, it's almost a, a letdown if they don't finish 7-9. and nine. If they're 8-8, eight and eight, if they win on the road in Miami and they – you know, maybe you win all three home games as well, then you're eight and eight. That's a good season given the expectations coming in. However, I would say I, I think this was on the schedule. Like we knew there would be some level of rebound that would happen later in the year with all the home games they had pushed back towards the end of the year, how hard their their first half schedule was with five out of the first seven on the road. I don't know if this is like a new revelation that, that you know they could be decent in, in terms of their record. I just think this is finally their schedule getting around to a point where it's actually reasonable. I'll be curious to see if the offense can continue to take steps forward because the last time Josh Allen had a game anywhere close to what he had on Sunday, the next week the Packers responded by, you know, really the next two weeks, he was pretty confused and looked out of his element. And so what he did to the Jaguars was encouraging for sure. I thought it was the best game he's played all season, but the formula all season long has been pressure Josh Allen and play man coverage. And so the Jaguars, with their genius defensive coordinator Todd Wash, played zone coverage and rushed four the entire game. And so Josh Allen chewed him up with his legs and made a few big chunk plays with his arm, which is the winning formula for him, but... There's also a formula to beat him that the Bills haven't shown that they can respond to. So they're not exactly playing the best defenses in the final stretch, but I'll be curious to see if teams start to change how they play him and then how he responds as a result.
Now, just for the record, the Bills' remaining schedule includes two games against Miami, one against the Jets, who they've already defeated. Excuse me. Um, the Lions at home, and then the game that we're assuming they won't win, December 23rd at Foxborough against the Patriots. And uh, it's just a place that they don't win. Well, there's been a change, though, I think, in the last four or five seasons where, well, they got run over in, in 2013 in the rain. LeGarrette Blount ran for 200-something yards in that game. And then 2014, that was when Brady played the first half. Edelman didn't play. They, I think they benched uh, Gronk as well, and, and the Bills won that game. 2015 was that Monday night game that was close. There was a, a few questionable calls there. I think the Danny Amendola play or, or something happened along the sideline. I have to go back and check. I think that was, that was a pretty close game. 2015, the Monday night game. 2016, they won. Against Jacoby Brissett, well, that's sixteen nothing. But they they came in there and it's still that was still a good Patriots team that year. They went to the Super Bowl and they won. Last year it was a tied game at halftime. You had the Kelvin Benjamin catch or, or incompletion that should have been a catch. You know maybe that changes the second half. Maybe it doesn't. They got blown out in the second half. But you could argue that the last four seasons at least they've been. Very competitive. So, Mike Foxborough. Rodak, are you then saying that the Bills uh, maybe have a shot to go to the playoffs, not just finish 8-8? Eight and eight? If they do the run the table, and again, there's they're favored by ESPN's analytics in three of their final five games. If they can pull out wins in the, the other two games in which they're, they're not favored, being this weekend and, and being in Foxborough, then their chances – by themselves, all else being equal, increased to about 38%, and they're about 1% right now. So really what needs to happen, if, if there's going to be some miraculous run, would be the Colts and the Ravens losing a few games. Because right now they are two games ahead of the Bills. Both of those are five lost teams. The Bills are seven lost team, or a seven-loss team, and they've lost head-to-head to each of those teams. So they would lose in a tiebreaker head-to-head with either the Ravens or the Colts. They'd also lose in a three-way tiebreaker because they've lost to both of those teams, you need, you know, something pretty bad to happen to either of those teams down the stretch. But their schedules are pretty tough, um, and and I mean, there's other teams in between. There's the Broncos, there's the Dolphins. I think by beating the Dolphins twice, you'd probably take them out of the mix. The Bills are making those graphics that say "in the hunt," which is uh, the annual. A uh, bit of excitement that Bills fans uh, used to cling to, just making that graphic, whether it be on the internet somewhere or on a TV show. Oh, look, there's the Bills logo. We're in the hunt. So, yeah, that's that's what it's back to. But am I the only one that thinks this is ridiculous to think that they could win? They've already won two in a row. That they could no. end the season on a seven-game winning streak. Yeah, I think it's a little put me in that category. <laughs> look at the even Ravens' schedule. Team, even a really good team would have a hard time doing that. I know the schedule is yes. soft, but. But to answer Tim's opening question, I think the upshot of if they did have a strong stretch, finish 7-9, and 8-8, eight and eight, whatever it be, Josh Allen then is, depending on how you count some games, 7-3, and 7-4, and 6-3 as a starter. Mm-hmm. And that would be the defining, I think, record of the season with this first-round pick as the quarterback. That's right. Josh Allen is 3-3 three and three as a starter right now. Yes. And you could say he's 3-2 and two in games he started and finished. Maybe they win that Houston game. Maybe they don't. But they very well might. I mean, yeah, Nathan, Nathan Peterman really <laughs> dribbled down his leg in that game. So, I but they mean, didn't have the lead when Allen no, got hurt. But I mean, they got some really bad quarterback play down the stretch, and that's where I think 
if they do start to string some things together, I think you look at it in the bigger picture, even if it is seven and nine and they miss the playoffs. If people are watching and, and seeing Josh Allen play well, that bodes well for when you have to court a free agent wide receiver or offensive right. lineman who might want to come play and, and see what this kid can do. I know that there are fans out there who are dreading the idea of the Bills getting hot and finishing seven and nine or eight and eight, or you know, even six and ten puts you, you know, somewhere in the twelve, thirteen range for your draft pick. Uh, and there are fans out there who want the highest draft pick possible. If you're not going to make the playoffs, and don't worry about it. But I'll say this, is that really where you need to draft as high as possible for is to get the quarterback that you want. Uh, generally, that uh, there's not such a huge drop-off position for position. And we saw it with that loaded wide receiver class back in 2014, uh, in which the fifth-best receiver still might be a star. Um, so with the draft position fading with the more games that you win the corollary to that though is that if the bills are winning it's probably because josh allen is going to be playing well now granted the defense could stand up and just you know pitch a couple shutouts and maybe the bills win a 13 10 game that's ugly and allen throws three interceptions or Lashawn mccoy carries him for a game or two but probably it will be josh allen showing signs that he is your franchise quarterback and i think that I would rather see that as a Bills fan than let's just go ahead and lose out. Let's go ahead and tank because, hey, it worked for the Sabres five years later or whatever, wherever we are with that. Um, that uh, the, seeing the growth in Josh Allen has been at the center of this, this season's mission to begin with. And I think this draft is almost – everybody talks about how defense-heavy it is. And so maybe if they push themselves into the – 13 14 range of the draft order they'll be a little bit more comfortable taking an offensive lineman or a wide receiver instead of feeling like they either have to trade back or have to take a defensive player not that it's a bad thing to take a blue chip prospect or have a pick that you could maybe move out of but to your point they're not desperate to get up into the top because there's not really prospects that they'll desperately need and they they have the most important position, or at least they think they do, and they're not concerned about that. So being in the early teens of the draft order isn't really going to be a backbreaker for them. And I would love to talk draft later. In fact, that's what I wrote about today was some of the draft stuff that might come down the road for the Bills. But just entertain me with the Baltimore Ravens schedule, for instance. They are at Atlanta this week. Then they are at Kansas City, home against the Bucks at the Chargers, and finish at home against the Browns. And the Browns are tough out. What are the kickoff times? <laughs> the Colts schedule, they're at the Jaguars, at the Texans, home against the Cowboys, home against the Giants, at the Titans. If you're looking for three losses, I think realistically that can easily happen with the Ravens. Colts, you know, you're going to need a little help there. Um, I don't know if the Colts are ever going to lose a football game again. Andrew Luck the is way they're playing. MVP, I think, at this point. But, again, and then you have – there's a couple other teams in between, the Bills and, and the, the Colts and the Ravens. There's the Bengals, who Andy Dalton's on IR. They're starting Jeff Driscoll. I mean, you can say Denver's goodnight to them. Denver's playing fairly well. Denver just won a big game this weekend. The Browns are kind of hanging in there. But, again, it, it – the Bills' schedule right now is the second easiest in the league 
over the remaining five games. The only easier one is the Titans, actually, and the Titans would have the inside track on them for the playoffs. Big but crooked, stumping for the Bills in the playoffs. Look, I, I sat here week 14, 15 last year saying there was no chance the Bills were going to make the playoffs, and then all of a sudden they win, what was it, the Colts game? And then you're starting to look at some of the numbers, or maybe the Dolphins game after that at home, and you're like, wow, you know, they, they could still lose at New England week 16 of last year, and then if they would go down to Miami and win and they get some help, they're in the playoffs. Well, hell, that's what happened. And I'm not saying this is the same situation. I mean, the odds are much more um, not in their favor here, but it's it's exists. It exists, and well, it's not the most outrageous thought in the world. And you do wonder eh, how much different it would look if, if Josh kinda, Allen were yeah, healthy. I mean, if Boy, Josh if they, Allen hadn't missed not a month. Trump's America, if, if they it's went not in, the most if, outrageous thing well, it, it doesn't require, you know, ties or, or something ridiculous like that or no, teams it losing that shouldn't them lose. beating Tom Brady, which it, they never do. Right. That's that's the huge game. But, again, I, I think they've played well in Foxborough the last couple years, and I think the Patriots have shown some signs of weakness as well this year. I'm thinking just 8-8 eight and eight would be a mild, oh, yeah. would be monumental accomplishment. And I'm not I'm – not, saying that as a way to push back on you in the playoffs. I know you're making a case, and it's it's something that should be talked about because, let's face it, we may not be able to talk about it next week or the week after. So if this you're going to talk about it. it, this is the time to do it. it, it there, are, it there was a miracle that needed to happen last year, and we saw it. Now, the chances of that happening two years in a row are pretty slim, but we'd be foolish to sit here and think or to sit here and declare that it's – that it is over, like Rex Ryan did his first year as coach of the Jets and went up to the lectern and talked about being mathematically eliminated, and his team two weeks later made the playoffs. Were they it's a championship? No, nah, I don't They were remember. better than – they were They were the wild seven, card uh, and ended up going to the AFC championship well, They beat game. the Patriots in Foxborough. I was covering that game. They On the road at San Diego, ass. they opened there. Uh, was it Cincinnati too? I don't know. I uh, it to was go San Diego the, that year, I think. The feeling, if they were to finish – strong like that even though it's a little bit different than the way this season went the feeling would be a lot like what I think was the 87 Bills they finished seven and eight they had all pretty much all the players except Thurman Thomas that they would have when they went to the Super Bowl and then they broke out the next year and all through had talked about how they built that up at the end of 87 coming together did they have a growth mindset in 87 I mean it was a strike you know, I was year. five years old I don't know but <laughs> Bills fans like to talk about that 87 team as being about as good as they were in 88 on the cusp of something you know, similar to some of these Sabres teams that maybe we'll talk about later and experiencing right now. And I, I don't mean this to take away credit from the Bills, but I'm not sure that eight and eight would be a monumental accomplishment, only because I think that's right around where at least I projected them. Beginning of the season, I had them seven and nine. I know a lot of people had them a little bit lower, and I know by I had them nine and seven. Would you believe that? And uh, I know I don't mean I am Matt Fairburn going at the nine and seven. Well. It's all about trying to get those subscriptions. You want to well, people no, that to was, subscribe that was to before. the athletic? That was oh, before. I see. Uh, <laughs> that was like when the schedule first came out. So that wasn't at the end of camp. I did. You you were at the athletic. I was like, I don't even need to predict the record. I don't need to reach for that cheap stuff. Well, you like, wrote like ESPN, but you wrote a column. I, I think, did write a column about why it was okay to be optimistic that they weren't the worst team in the league, as a lot of people said. Now I know by midseason, when they were two and seven, a few weeks ago even that. It seemed reasonable they would be three and thirteen, four and twelve, but 
all along, their schedule for the second half of the year was easy, and that's what they're taking advantage of now. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to have John Vogel on the phone. We're going to talk about the Sabres and the Sabres' 10-game win streak, which ties a club record, uh, I think plays into our thinking on this, or at least allowing us to have our imaginations be captured and think, well, maybe anything is possible. UB won't lose. Basketball, I mean, they, the football team lost at Ohio, but they're, they're having a great season. They're about to play in the Mid-American Conference championship game in football. Uh, Sabres can't lose. The Bills haven't lost in four weeks. I'm no Buffalo sports historian, but I would say the month of November in Buffalo sports might be one of their best overall, over the entire spectrum of the major sports. The 21, and it's going on more than that, Day stretch where the Bills and the Sabres didn't lose together in season. That's the first time that's ever happened. Sully had some stats. All right, we got to take a break. That was okay. We'll get to John Vogel on this after the break on the Tim Graham Show, which is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285 9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. What are you looking at now? Nothing. What are you looking at now? Nothing. Here's what a poor boob looks like. I've got news for you. This poor boob is you. Tim Graham, The Tim Graham Show. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. And on The Fan's app. Free to download in the App Store. If you've been injured by the negligence of others, Call the lawyers of Viola Cummings and Lindsay to represent you in a personal injury or workers' compensation matter. At Viola Cummings and Lindsay, we can help you pick up the pieces and get the benefits you deserve. Call 285-9555. On the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Viola Cummings and Lindsay, attorneys at law, with three locations to serve you in Niagara Falls, Lockport, and Williamsville. Call today for a free consultation. Of Savvy, the fan, and on the fans app, free to download in the App Store. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Follow them on Twitter, at VCL Niagara. That's where you'll, uh, well, if you search that, then you'll also see the periscope that Jonah Bronstein does. Jonah tags VCL Niagara in, in all the, the periscoping that we do on Twitter. I do. I tag you. Tag the sponsor. That's Most prudent. importantly. It's prudent. John Vogel's on the line right now. John Vogel and I covered the Sabres together back when they were fun the first time. I was thinking about it earlier today, John, and uh, tell me if you agree or disagree. I'm getting the sense that these Sabres – feel an awful lot like the 05-06 team, the first team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals, because of the energy that we're getting, the way the community is responding, much like those Sabres coming out of the lockout surprised a lot of people. This team is surprising uh, a lot of folks. But I think this team might be better 
I think that the 06-07 team was better, but we just got so used to the winning that it became expected. They were so dominant on a nightly basis that it got to just to be an expectation, whereas now uh, it's still not expected. It's still fresh. We're still feeling uh, pretty amazed by these guys. Yes, indeed. There are the similar. Uh, hello, by the way. Hi, John. The, uh, <laughs> John Vogel's from um, the Athletic. Yeah, the uh, the similarity is there in the fact that it is just a surprise. I mean, there is no one in the world, not even the biggest diehard Saber fan, who said that. Oh, after twenty five games, this will be the best team in the NHL, um, which is in fact the case. Um, so yeah, from that aspect, I mean, fan, the, the surprise factor and people wanting to jump on board and be part of a winner from that aspect, it is getting the same. Uh, it's not quite there yet, obviously, uh, but that 05, 06 team was, uh, as, as you said, you remember, uh, it was uh, a crazy time in town. That was the, uh, the elite time in my lifetime for, for Sabres hockey, just the way the fans jumped aboard. And a lot of it had to do with the dynamic personalities on that team. I mean, uh, Ryan Miller was uh, the face of the franchise. Danny Briere was the outspoken, energetic guy. Chris Drury was the silent leader with uh, good thoughts whenever he talked. Brian Campbell was the fun redhead in town. So, uh, I mean, the, the dynamic personalities on that team really uh, really helped to take off. And uh, this one, I think, uh, I think we'll get there if it keeps going like this, that's for sure. We're in conversation with John Vogel of The Athletic. I got so excited to bring him on, I didn't introduce him. I just wanted to talk hockey with my buddy. Uh, John, it's 10 wins in a row. Everybody knows that. Now, they're going to be going for the record-breaking 11th tomorrow night. Now, that game is at Tampa. Of course, if they were to win it, that wouldn't be a cheap win. Uh, Tampa's a very good team, 17-7-1, and uh, and uh, a Stanley Cup contender by everybody's measure. Uh, any symbolism in this game between this team that nobody expected and, and, the, uh, and the team that everybody would pencil in in their very short list of teams that could win the Stanley Cup this year? Uh, it would be a big win uh, to come down here. Tampa's already on the list of victims. Uh, the Sabres beat them at home 2-1 uh, back on the 13th of November. But if you come into Tampa, which is a hard, loud building to play in for road teams, I mean, uh, if you come in here and you set a franchise record for wins in Tampa, that's a big step. Uh, and just for the record, I know I left Buffalo this morning. It was not good weather. It is very sunny. I might have to close my curtains because it's so bright here. So just wanted to bring that up real quick. Uh, thoughts and prayers are with you right now, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you, I hate to keep going back to the Stone Age when I covered the Sabres, but you, when you're talking about it being a loud, very difficult place to play in Tampa, man, it was not always like that. And I just can recall the place being almost empty uh, if not for the Sabres fans, the transplants who live down in Florida, it was always a very welcoming crowd, uh, also in Florida, also in Atlanta when the Thrashers were still there. And you get those teams down south that couldn't win, and there'd be nothing but Sabres fans down there. Now, a big weekend, Bills are at the Dolphins on Sunday, and if you had a couple of bucks to spend and you were a diehard Buffalo sports fan, you could make... Uh, a nice little week out of this. Uh, the Sabres playing at Tampa, at Florida. The Bills playing uh, at the Dolphins. What was uh, what was the flight like on the way down? I'm guessing there were a lot of sports fans on there. Yeah, there was, a, there was probably at least two dozen people who I heard uh, while we were waiting for the plane. I heard say, oh, yeah, we're coming down. We're going to all three games. So they're... Uh, 
there's going to be a good uh, good portion of Sabres fans in the crowd uh, tomorrow night. But, yeah, they were all, obviously, everyone was excited to come down. Just uh, the Bills at Miami is always a fun time for people to come down to. And when you can throw in two Sabres games, uh, that, that really helps things out for them. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, it's uh, it was a great trip, a great weekend. And my guess is that in Sunrise, Florida, where the Florida Panthers play, you probably can get tickets on the secondary market for pretty cheap. Yeah, I mean, it'll think it'll be uh, me, our athletic buddy George Richards, and a few Sabres fans, and that might be it in the whole building. Well, <laughs> hey, I'll be there with uh, with Jay Skursky from the Buffalo News and his wife Melissa Holmes. Oh. I'll be at the game Friday night. What do right. you have to spend on tickets? Twelve dollars, I think Jay said. Yeah, and that gets you in the penalty box. That gets you probably five feet away from the penalty box. Mike's actually playing left wing for the Panthers <laughs> for that price. You ever seen me skate? Goaltender. They need a goaltender, don't they? Well, Fairburn, there you go. Suit up. So, John, where do you think this goes? Do we see reality catch up at some point? Uh, I think that that was part of the fun with that 5 6 team is that People couldn't believe it, and they were waiting for, you know, when's uh, when are the refs going to start calling it tighter again like they did before the lockout? Uh, when are the teams going to figure out this new style of the NHL? So there were a different dynamic at play because the rules had so drastically changed. But do you get a sense that coaches are coming closer to figuring these guys out? Is it that's that old sports adage of these guys can't sneak up on anybody anymore, so they're going to see – uh, they're not just going to see the backup goalie uh, two out of three games like they have the last couple of years. What uh, what do you foresee as as possible for the Sabers as they as they capture our imaginations? I keep using that phrase, but I can't uh, I can't avoid it because that's that is what they're doing to Western New York. At at the start of the year, I figured if they contended for a playoff spot, they uh, that would get the fans really excited. And hey, they came close, and the games on St. Patrick's Day meant something. Um, after this start, I mean, I think they can finish third in the division and avoid the wild card spots altogether. I mean, the one thing that uh, is really helping them, and I don't see really that I don't see uh, falling off, is the play of Carter Hutton. Um, he just has been solid, solid, and more solid in the net every night. Um, think about it: the backup, Linus Allmark, is five zero and one, and no one is calling for the backup to get more games just because Carter Hutton is playing so well. Um, He's getting his first chance as the number one goalie, and he's really embraced it. The guys trust what he's doing back there, which has allowed them to take a few more chances. Uh, obviously, the scoring, Jeff Skinner is not going to keep scoring every night. Um, I don't think so, anyway. Um, Can't but, say for uh, sure. Yeah, that's true. I mean, 19 goals in 25 games. That's, uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, but then when you look down, Sam Reinhardt's only got three. Uh, Kyle Pozo's only got five. Uh, Casey Middlestat's got four, so you would think that a few other guys will get hot. So if Skinner cools off, those guys get hot, they can keep rolling. So, yeah, I would mean I don't think they're as good over the long haul as Tampa and Toronto, but third place in the division, it's a legitimate chance here now. We're in conversation with John Vogel, the Sabres reporter for The Athletic. And, John, uh, our colleague Chris Baker was in studio last week, and we were having the discussion about who he thinks the – MVP is, and a lot of people would say Skinner just because uh, he's scoring the not only scoring goals but scoring them in big moments. Um, but Chris Baker's pick for MVP was Carter Hutton. How would you uh, assess just those two guys? And I know you ju- you've mentioned both of them just now, but in terms of their importance, their impact 
on turning last year's team into what we're seeing now. Uh, how would you assess them? Uh, Skinner's um, given him, he's just a quiet guy. I mean, I don't know how much he's impact the locker room aspect of it, uh, but Carter Hutton is just a, a well-spoken, thought-out guy who walks in there and uh, he's got a lot to say and it's usually a good thing. Now, that said, Robin Leonard was also one of my favorite people of all time to talk to. Um, and that includes last year when, as anyone who's read The Athletic knows, the season went off the rails for him both on and off the ice. Um, so I think just the fact that Carter Hutton has those leadership skills that Robin had but just goes about it in a much uh, uh, much better fashion. Um, so I think that he wouldn't be wrong to say Carter Hutton was the MVP, um, especially after this last week, uh, the last eight games. He's won eight games, eight in a row. He's got a save percentage of about nine point or point nine four zero. It's he's just uh, really taken charge of this team, and it's been fun to watch. What has been, or I guess, uh, let's go back to the beginning of the season when the Sabers uh, acquire Carter Hutton. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, on just the idea that this guy is going to come in and be the goaltender? Because you take a look at his statistics, uh, he's never played more than 40 games in a season, and he's usually in the teens, uh, 18 games uh, in 14-15, uh, 17 games in 15-16, and he goes to St. Louis and plays 29-32. and 32, But he's going to blow away his, uh, his season high for games played. Um, so... I guess every time you look at the stats, you think, okay, yeah, those are good numbers. Um, well, I guess even looking at his first two years in Nashville, he had a 2.62 and a 2.61 goals against. Um, last year he has a 2.09 goals against, but only in 32 games. And you wonder, okay, um, what are we really getting here? Uh, what was your, your thought on, on him and, and how you've learned what he is? The very first thing I wrote the day they signed him was about the success he had in one-goal games, uh, and that is the trend that's obviously continued for this team. Uh, last night, and yet another one-goal game that they win, that, that makes them, uh, I think it's 10-0-2, I believe. I don't have it right in front of me, uh, but in one-goal games, and that was the one thing where they just couldn't win those one-goal games last year. They'd get to a shootout, and Robin wouldn't stop anything, or none of the scorers would score. Uh, they get to overtime and the goalie give up a bad goal. That's the big difference with Carter Hutton is he gets these one goal games and he just doesn't make that mistake, doesn't let in that deflating goal that the previous goalies did. And that's what's really made him uh, the difference for this team. Now, as you said, he's only he tops out usually around 30 games or so. So it's, uh, it's going to be a big step around midseason once he gets there and he's already well past that. And can he keep it up and can he do this for a full year? But so far, he's showing no signs that he can't, so it's going to be a fun, interesting thing to watch. I think it's amazing, John, at least unless in uh, as we were going back and forth, I just missed it. Here we are 15 minutes into this uh, talk about the Sabres this season, and the names Jack Eichel and Rasmus Dahlin I don't think have been mentioned yet. Uh <laughs> Obviously, Rasmus Dahlin has been a revelation, and Jack Eichel's been pretty solid. Uh, but th- I guess that says something, that we can have this long of a discussion and not mention their names. Um, if they uh, – and Rasmus Dahlin, I guess you, you could have the, the same type of thoughts about him as we were just talking about in regard to Carter Hutton. Maybe the the long NHL season catches up to him some point in – January or February, and he hits uh, the dog days and and has trouble with the NHL game. 
but I think in general, I mean, as these guys get more experience, as Jack Eichel plays more games, we should see more from them, theoretically. And if we could see more from them, then how dangerous do these Sabres get? Oh, exactly. Uh, with Dalene, I think he just, uh, speaking of playing more, he's now topping uh, Rasmus uh, Ristolainen in ice time, uh, which is a huge step. I mean, a bunch of people heading into the draft, they're like, all right, he's going to be their number one defenseman. Maybe it's next year, maybe it's the year after. But here we are 25 games in, and he's already the most relied upon defenseman in a big game. Uh, that says a lot. Uh, you can just see the confidence he has, uh, the puck movement that he can. I mean, he just does not miss passes it, it, if he if he misses a player it's it's just eye-opening because he just does not miss and those little those little things I mean that there's so many defensemen on this team the last few years who couldn't make a 10-foot pass and he just doesn't miss them and it's a huge difference it's what it difference it's why the offense moves much more fluidly um, and as far as Jack he always said that he was a playmaker first um, people would ask him oh are you a goal scorer are you a playmaker he's like well I'm a playmaker um, and he's proven it. I mean, to have a guy when he's got a guy like Jeff Skinner on his wing, uh, the, the connection is uh, we're not quite at LaFontaine McGillney yet, but it's uh, it's not too far off. Uh, 23 assists in 25 games for Jack. Um, that's uh, that's quite the start for him. And like you said, we haven't even mentioned him in a few minutes here. And uh, he's st- he's, he is the captain. He's grown into that role, and uh, the players are following him. And it's. Uh, I know you you mentioned a few words, uh, the same word over and over, but interesting just keeps coming into my mind. It's just an interesting team, which is great to see after so many years of anything but interesting down at that arena. They're relevant. They're not embarrassing. Uh, You Uh can, uh, you know, you can turn on the game or you go even remember that they're playing. I mean, that's the thing, too. Uh, When the Sabres are going great in Western New York, people know that when the next game is, they change their plans to sit down and watch the game, whether at the bar or at home or with their families. Um, for two, three years, there'd be games, and I didn't even know that there was a game. You know, I didn't. Uh, I'd maybe see it in the paper every few days and be like, "Oh, the Sabers played last night," um, and then I probably wouldn't read the story, especially if your byline wasn't on it. So <laughs> it was, yeah, it's just hey, been yeah, irrelevant. Yeah, we had that in common, too. I wouldn't read it if my name wasn't on it either. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. John Vogel from The Athletic, thanks for joining us to talk Sabres. And uh, I look forward to seeing you soon, hopefully at the arena. Always a good time, my friend. All right. Enjoy Tampa. That's thanks, John please. Vogel of The Athletic. And uh, we're going to come back. We're going to have some more Bills talk. We're going to talk about Hall of Fame quarterbacking Ooh. with Warren Moon. Hey. Uh, who's going to be calling in. And um, we'll uh, we'll get after it. Joel Staniszewski will be coming on. We'll talk about the Bills, and they're you know we'll get more into whether or not the Bills can uh, go to the playoffs, as Mike Rodak seems to think is a possibility. We can talk about the draft. Draft is always fun too. This time of year, if you want to be less optimistic than typical Homer Rodak. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. The Tim Graham Show is on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Crooked Rodak. The Tim Graham Show. Uh, Tim's discounted prices shot out of the ground by premium prices. Now on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. And on the Fan's app. Free to download in the App Store. Graham Show, taking your calls at 270-1270 on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. 
Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan, with my co-host, the big crooked Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Matthew Fairburn's in studio today, also Bill's reporter for The Athletic. Jonah Bronstein handling things on Twitter. Bobby Rosati diddling the knobs, doing what he do. And, um, you know, I've been working on a story for The Athletic, and it's going to run this week, maybe even tomorrow, about the NFL and how it's changing so quickly, especially for quarterbacks, and how the changing NFL, as it evolves into more and more of a passer's league, more and more of a quarterback's league, how that's going to impact Hall of Fame discussions. When those guys meet uh, the day before the Super Bowl, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Board of Selectors, and they decide who gets in and who doesn't, how will statistics, how will the way the game is played change the future of those discussions uh, 10 years from now? Hey, if receivers are being punished because catches are cheap now, then the guys throwing it maybe get punished. So I wanted to bring in somebody who knows all about the subject – Former Houston Oilers quarterback, former Edmonton Eskimos quarterback. We have to say that. Here we are in the afterglow of the Grey Cup. Warren Moon joining the show. Warren, thanks for coming on to talk about this. Yeah, my pleasure. How much uh, how much snow are you guys dealing with back there? I heard you got a lot of a lot of snow dumped on you the last few days. About a foot last night, I'm guessing. Wow. Um, yeah, good times. Uh, I was at an intersection today, and I didn't brush off the top of my car. I only did I did Uh-oh. the cheapo, I did the just the windshield and the headlights. And I get to the intersection and I hit the brakes and all of the snow from the hood comes down onto my windshield and sticks there and my windshield it's too much for the windshield yes. wiper. So I'm at the intersection. Track people are coming. I mean I I had to get out. I, there's this old lady sitting behind me wondering what I'm doing. I had to wave the one finger and say like well, just a second, ma'am. Got the brush out and uh, missed the light and yeah, I caused a scene. Aren't you glad you asked well, now, Warren? Well, as you mentioned, uh, I spent some time in Minnesota and also uh, in Edmonton, so I know a lot about snow, and I know you got to give at least 15, 20 minutes extra to get your car ready to, to roll so you don't have that problem at the intersection. Do you think maybe, Warren, <laughs> we could, uh, throughout the winter, do like a weekly travel tip uh, for we can you can uh, give your for car safety or for being out on the roads? I've got travel tips for hot weather because I lived in Houston, Texas for 16 years. I'm out and also in Los Angeles, California, and I've got them for rainy weather because I live in Seattle. And I've also got them for cold weather because I was in Edmonton and also uh, Minnesota. So I think I can help you there on all those fronts. You should be hired by Michelin and uh, (laughs) just give all these tips. You remember how they used to do Alcoa Presents Fantastic Finishes? Remember oh, those yeah. back in the day? I think people of a certain age uh, know what that is. You could do a segment that happens at the end of every game, or the Monday night games used to have the uh, you make the call. You could right. have a weekly thing during a national game where you give some sort of ro- – you'd give a quiz. you say, all right, now what's the proper uh, tire pressure for a certain kind of weather? Is it A? And then you go to commercial and you come back, and then Warren Moon gives you the answer. 
That's a good idea. I'm going to have to uh, present that to somebody. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, and I'm sure you will. I'll be seeing it soon on television, and I'll look and I'll I'll just I'll just nod, and there'll be nobody else in the room with me, and I'll just nod and say, "Yeah, I, I had something to do with that. I inspired." Well, that. I'll, I'll send you a check for ten percent. Oh, all right. I wasn't even going to ask for that. So, yeah. Warren, ten percent uh, is what uh, the stats of guys like Otto Graham and. Len Dawson, they, they're going to have about 10% of the stats that uh, current uh, quarterbacks have uh, as we talk about the Hall of Fame. And, and uh, Warren, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because you played at a time with that run-and-shoot offense in which people looked at it as a gimmick, um, something that just wasn't quite actual football, and it took some people time to warm up to it. So I think that... Y- I think that that was one of the first offenses that really took advantage of what the NFL had to offer and got coaches to think slowly uh, that we don't need to run the ball so much, that we don't need to do the old school, um, you know, run on first and second down, um, run to set up the pass. Um, But here we are in this generation where everybody's buying into the more of the style of football that you were playing. So how do you think that it's going to affect the way we look back at the great quarterbacks or the way we judge how great next generations of quarterbacks are? Well, I think every uh, every era goes through, you know, different changes in offensive and defensive philosophy. And uh, if you look at the era that I played in when they had Marino and and Elway and Aikman and myself and Jim Kelly, and I can go on and on with all the great quarterbacks that played during that era, uh, we really started to spike up our pass attempts compared to, say, what maybe Roger Staubach and Terry Bradshaw and that era of guys uh, uh, did as far as throwing the football it was more of a balanced type of offense. But I think our, our generation started to take it more to where passing was a little bit more dominant, but we still had the same rules in effect as far as uh, you could still be physical with the receivers, and you could still take the big hits across the field. So there was a little bit more intimidation, and the defense still had a little bit more of, a, of an opportunity to play defense, uh, even though the, the rules were starting to change and the game was starting to open up a little bit. But now you see, because of the advent of having or wanting more safety in the game, they've kind of taken the big hits and the intimidation out of it for these receivers as, as far as getting off the line of scrimmage and, and going across the middle of the field. And then the way they're protecting the quarterbacks in that, um, it makes it a little bit more of an easier pass catch game for, uh, for these uh, quarterbacks to the receivers. And then the types of throws that the receivers or the quarterbacks are making now are a little bit different than what we did. We threw the ball down the field a little bit more than they do today. Today they throw a lot more screens, a lot more bubble screens, tunnel screens, really high percentage throws, uh, which which is why you see a lot of these quarterbacks throwing for such high percentages uh, each and every week. I think this past weekend you had a couple of quarterbacks that only missed on one throw over over 20 attempts. You just never saw that back in the day because of the way we were able to play defense. But you're going to definitely have to uh, adjust to the way um, – quarterbacks are judged there's no question about it because i'm not going to say it's easier to play the position today but it's definitely uh, not as difficult to play the position today from a physical standpoint we're in conversation with hall of fame quarterback warren moon talking about uh, the evolution of offenses and and how it's going to change the way we perceive the best quarterbacks in the league and what got me thinking about this originally was the night Drew Brees broke Peyton Manning's record, and the first thought that popped into my head was, "All right, how long until somebody else breaks this record?" Taking a look <laughs> at it, long. you know, Matthew Stafford <laughs> has a chance to break the record. 
Uh, Matt Ryan has a chance to break the record. At least Matt Ryan's been to a Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, Matthew Stafford is not any kind of – he doesn't resemble a Hall of Fame quarterback to me. That's the you know the rule is you know it when you see it. But he is to me the guy that's rolling up all these stats and has never really played for a winning team. Um, now here's uh, this is a loaded question to Warren Moon because you're one of only two quarterbacks in the modern era who did not play in a Super Bowl. Now of course right. you got robbed of the first half of your career uh, coming out in '78, but just not to clarify who made the Hall of Fame. You mean? What did I say? You just said who didn't play in a Super Bowl. The, who made the Hall of Fame, though, right? From the modern era. Right. Yeah, yeah. from the modern era. Okay. Dan right. Fouts and Warren Moon. That was clear. Um, sorry, thanks for, thanks for that. Right. Um, but how important, then, does it become you have to get to a Super Bowl? Uh, you have to have the hardware. You, you're not going to be able to get into the Hall of Fame on statistics. Well, I think Super Bowl becomes a little bit more important uh, nowadays, yes. And I think it's been that way probably for the last 10 years or so that uh, a, lot of the, a lot of quarterbacks are measured on on how many Super Bowls they've been to and how many they've won. So that's not going to change. If anything, it's going to even increase uh, as we go forward because of the numbers that these guys are, are throwing for and the high percentages that they're throwing for. You're going to have to start to try and find uh, something in their uh, in their resume that, that really sets them apart. So I think Super Bowl is going to be one of those. And I also think um, because you see how high a percentage these quarterbacks are throwing for because it's easier completions, I think how many sacks a quarterback takes is probably going to have to be taken into consideration as well because you shouldn't be getting sacked a lot today the way the ball is coming out so quickly and, and how much easier it is to complete passes. When you see these guys completing 85 90% of their passes in some of these ball games, and a lot of them 70% and, and higher uh, week in and week out, uh, I think if you're taking sacks, then that means you're not reading the defense right, and I think you should be penalized for that. You should be able to get the ball out of your hands, and if you're being accurate with your throw, you should be able to make completions because these defensive backs aren't able to be as physical with the receivers. Now, Warren Moon played until he was 44, uh, which it seems implausible to me. I don't remember you being that old or at least looking that old back when you still had shoulder pads and a helmet. <laughs> And that was uh, two seasons as a backup with Kansas City. You only got into a couple of games there. But you did start 10 games for the Seattle Seahawks at 42. Now, when Brett Favre played as well as he did and com- and contended for MVP at 41 or whatever he was, that seemed like such an outlier. But now, it, because of what you're saying, Warren, uh, not taking as many sacks – uh, because of the penalties uh, that uh, players aren't even allowed to fall on you a certain way if you're the quarterback, uh, being right. considered more defenseless than, than back in the day you played. It seems to me is that, that quarterback's going to get to be like kicker uh, or punter, in which you can play, you should, be, you should probably play into your 40s. And that's going to also obliterate the records too. Guys are going to play long, they're going to play uh, more efficiently and for a lot longer than they used to. Yeah, they'll have the ability to do that, especially if they take care of themselves, say like a Tom Brady does, like Drew Brees does now, and some of these other quarterbacks are starting to see the success uh, these older quarterbacks are having. A, a lot of these younger quarterbacks are starting to take on some of these same habits and regiments. So, yeah, if these guys want to play longer, if they can stay away from any type of major injuries, they'll have a chance to play a, a much longer time than uh, back in the day when I played. Even though we did have some guys that played a long time, you look at uh, – then he tested Verde. He played, I think, until he was about 45 years old. And, uh, he did leave the game, and I think he came back. 
And then there were some others that played a long time as well. So you can do it as long as you take care of yourself and stay away from those, uh, those major injuries, you know, like the knees and the shoulders and things that really affect quarterbacks. Uh, and like I said, the way the rules are right now and the way you're being protected, you're not taking the big punishment that we took back in the days. Now you look at guys like Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff, that Monday night game. I don't know if you watched it 54 to 51. Um, obviously, uh, if they can play a long time, who knows what the record book's going to look like, but it's going to look a lot different than Bob Greasy. Uh, I, I just like to bring up Bob Greasy. He was he got into the Hall of Fame even though he averaged only 156 passing yards a game. And if you add up his two Super Bowl victories, the year that they went undefeated in 72, and then they followed it up with a back-to-back championship, in those two games combined, combined, he was 14 of 18 for 161 yards, one touchdown and one interception. So <laughs> imagine that compared to what we're seeing from Pat Mahomes and, uh, and Jared Goff. What were your thoughts on that game, Warren? And, uh, well, I'll share my thoughts. But I'd, I'd like to hear yours just on the back and forth in that and whether how enjoyable you found that game. You know, I know a lot of people were critical of that game, but I loved it only because uh, the game was still close. It was still a football game, even though uh, there was a lot of points scored in the game. You never felt like any team had a – advantage in the game that uh, the other team always had a chance to come right back into it. So because it went back and forth, even though they did score a lot of points, uh, that's what I loved about it. And, you know, there was still a lot of great defensive plays in that game as well. I think there was eight sacks between the two teams. I think there was a, a total of seven turnovers. I think the defenses scored three times in the ball game. So there was a lot of big plays on the defensive side. But when you have two teams that have really good quarterbacks that have those type of weapons, you're going to get those type of games. So I don't see I don't see that happening a lot throughout the season because there's not a lot of teams that have those type of gunslingers with those type of weapons to throw the football to. But I think every now and then, if you get two teams matched up that have those type of weapons, you might see those type of numbers. Yeah, I'd like to see that be a special occurrence and not be something that we see on a weekly basis. Because well, if, uh, you, look, if you look at all the other games that weekend, they were all close games as well. They were all like three, four, five points that separated the winners, but they were all more in the 20s, like 27, 24, things like that, which is more typical of a, of a game. But this one kind of uh, took them to another level because of the explosiveness that was on the field on both sides of the football. It was like watching the Golden State Warriors in that it was <laughs> spectacular to watch and amazing. And you know that every time Steph Curry pulls up from just inside half court, uh, it's going in. And it's just well, like, well, I'd like to see some like, defense at some point. It was like watching point. Oklahoma against Oklahoma State. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I know you 12, mentioned all the big, big defensive football. plays, Warren, but uh, and there were three defensive touchdowns, all those turnovers and stuff, but when the ball was in the air on so many so many occasions, and, and there would either be a flag or, a, or a, the receiver would come down to the catch because the defensive back just isn't contesting the ball, uh, it well, got a little aggravating for me, but uh, yeah, I knew. It, but if that game's fifty-four to thirty-eight, you know, almost as high scoring, but not a, a one-possession game, then we're probably not thinking it was all that all that sw- uh, special. Right. It was a competitive game all the way down to the last series of the football game, and that's what made it compelling. Even though you almost forgot about the score just because of how close the football game was, and either team 
had a chance to win it, whoever had the ball last. So that's what I loved about it, even though I know we're not going to see many games like that, just because, like I said, there were some dynamic playmakers on both sides of that football, both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. With the perspective of years, Warren, um, and I know this is uh, not your favorite topic to discuss, but this uh, we are on the air here in Buffalo, New York. Uh, you've uh, It was uh, quite a day uh, when you were here for the playoffs a while ago. Uh, the greatest comeback in NFL history, or one of them anyway. Um, when you look back at the thinking at the time of, we got the big lead, um, but you guys kept throwing the ball. And that is what you see in today's game. Uh, people, you're not supposed to be afraid to throw the ball as much as you were uh, back in the 80s or the 90s. Uh, does your, your perspective on that afternoon change at all as you see the, the thinking in the NFL change? Well, that was kind of our offense at the time that we really couldn't go to just running the football because, one, we didn't have a tight end on our roster. Uh, so we had to uh, you know continue to stay within our offense. But I thought we weren't aggressive enough to tell you the truth, uh, because we weren't, we stopped doing some of the things that got us that big lead in the ball game. And if we would have stayed as aggressive as we were, I thought we ran the ball maybe too much trying to, trying to, uh, trying to run some time off the clock. And that wasn't really our ball game. And I think that kind of got us out of our rhythm. And then that's when the momentum changed. So if anything, I didn't think we were aggressive enough as opposed to, uh, not being able to run the football because running wasn't something that our offense was a strength at running was something just to keep the defense off balance when we threw the football, but uh, we needed to keep doing what we did best, which was throw it and throw it more aggressively. Well, Warren Moon, I, I thank you for coming on the show today and, and sharing your thoughts on uh, on today's NFL. Um, you're the person I wanted to have on here because of your perspective. I thought it was uh, perfect for this topic, and uh, it means a lot to me that you'd come on the show. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, and I uh, look forward to talking to you down the road. Well, we'll see you when I uh, – I'll see you on TV for those tire tips. All righty. Happy holidays. All righty. Warren Moon, Hall of Fame quarterback here on the Tim Graham Show, which is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. The Tim Graham Show is here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. After this break, we're going to have more from the big crooked Mike Rodak of ESPN.com and Matt Fairburn of The Athletic talking about uh, Bill's <laughs> playoff scenarios. Jonah Bronstein, we're going to chat some UB with him. And uh, Bobby Rosati is going to tell us what he's vaping. <laughs> when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Tim the Tim Graham Show brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with my co-host, the big crooked Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, he covers the Bills. He's here in studio for the full two hours. We haven't heard much from Matt. We had uh, two guests. Good guests. I thought so. I thought so. Good insight from both of those. John Vogel, he's the Sabres reporter for The Athletic. And Warren Moon, Hall of Fame quarterback. It's not too often you can have a Houston Oiler on your airwaves. Or an Edmonton Eskimo. Or a Hall matter. of Famer. A Hall of Famer matter. in general. Two weeks That's in right. a row. Period. What was last week? Or maybe two out of the last three weeks, rather. What was that? OJ. OJ. We had O.J. Simpson. Who'd we have last week? We had Brian Campbell last week, yeah. a Lady Bing winner. 
But who are the Hall of Famers? We, we had a few Hall of Famers last year. Terrell Owens being one before he was in the Hall of Fame. Oh, we had a lot. Scotty Bowman mm-hmm. was a guest. Um, what was that, Bobby? That was a, like a... I said, uh, hey, I'll find it. Oh, you're going to find him. I thought yeah. you were saying, like, Scotty Bowman's no big deal. Oh, no, I mean, no. the greatest I coach of Scotty all time. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> conversation right. of what? Him and John Wooden, maybe? Who's the conversation of greatest coach Maybe. of all time? You want to put Bill Belichick in there, but you don't want the words to come out of your mouth for. I was going to say Coach Dan K. K. Is Clint Malarchuk a Hall of Famer? Not in the Hall of Fame, no. Damn. Hall of Fame guest though. Clint Malarchuk was a good good guest for us. I mean, there's a lot. The Donald Trump episode. We had Carl Palladino on there. Trump's got to be in some. Woody. Well, we didn't have him on the show. He's in the, the WWE show. Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. perfect. There we go. That's right, he is. I knew he's in some Hall of Fame. You should uh, put in a request to get the president on the show. <laughs> Lex Luger. He only does Fox. Was not on the, the show. Not in the Hall of Fame, which is controversial. Mm-hmm. He probably should be in the Wrestling Hall of Fame, but he's not. Is he not in it for controversial reasons? Yes. Okay. Uh, you right. you see, I, I, Miss Elizabeth died. Yeah, and, I remember And that. it wasn't his fault. He, he didn't. She had an overdose, but. He was with her and living a certain lifestyle in which he probably should have been a little more protective. But then there are people close to him who uh, he, he thinks he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame because of that, and he's okay with it. But there are others who say it's not his fault because she was addicted to drugs, and if it wasn't with him, it would have been with somebody else. I think Matthew made a good point. <clears throat> should try to get Trump on the show. Request uh, Sarah Huckabee and say that you want Trump to talk about the new Bill Stadium, whether New York should help pay for a new Bill Stadium, public money. Apparently his tariffs are causing right. quite a that's drive up the price of steel. My Trump contacts were... Um, Hope Hicks. Were Hope Hicks. She's still and, around. And Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen's not around, Those but were, Hope Hicks well, is. She's gone. Is she? She left a long time ago, yes. Yeah, she's gone. So it's and uh, yeah, I've lost I don't track. think I don't think that either of those people are going to be eager to get me in touch with Donald Trump. We got to get him listening. Soon. He might just call in if we got him listening to the show. Oh sure. Well yeah, we I'll have to send him some links. Oh yeah yeah, she's been gone. You're right. <laughs> well, maybe they can you, hook you up. Yeah, well, they can talk about Jeff Brandon. Good times. Jeff Brandon and what's Jeff Lipman? <laughs> <laughs> Give me both numbers if you can, okay? <laughs> Tim, I do tremendous numbers of deals. In fact, I'm doing one today. That's fantastic. <laughs> no puppet. No puppet. Pup. It's pretty. How long ago was that interview? <laughs> four years ago. Four and a half years ago. Man, that brings back. It's amazing. Dude, like gold. I know, I know that happened. I know those interviews happened. I think about it occasionally, but actually hearing those clips, Dude, I'm like, right. that guy became the He's MF the and president. And you, and you his, talked to him. You had his number, a right? A bunch of times. That's unbelievable. Man. A bunch of times. He called me. Man. He would, he would read my stories about the bill sale and call me up. That's what I'm saying. That is awesome. We should get Crazy. I don't Who'd think... be the bigger get, Trump or OJ for this show? Well, we already got OJ, so right. yeah, let's get to work. I bet you, how about this, at a different time, it would be harder to get OJ than Trump. That's what I'm saying. Trump's accessible to the media of all Dude, his other faults. Over the course of time... Over the course of time, O.J. is the bigger get right. than Trump. Right. Because Trump used to do all media. Well, he was calling the Buffalo News. Yeah. Right. He's, go Trump to Stern, to you can hear anything. Right. Now, just yeah. not now. Like, he's he's probably untouchable now, but. I'll bet you well, if he had a connect. Ah, no, you're right. Damn can't, 
He's not really yeah, untouchable, sure though. If you don't it's try. Just, you have to be in the right yes. lane. He calls into shows and he might right. he talks a lot. Right. For right. Sean Hannity, I mean, look what are I the better what it, what has the better chance of happening? Me getting Donald Trump on the show while he's president, or the Bills making the playoffs? I think if this show aired between like two and five a.m., you'd have a really <laughs> yeah. good chance of getting shoot Donald him a Trump. DM or a, a tweet. <laughs> might have a chance. I almost got him for a story. I'm trying to think of what it was. It got to Hope Hicks, and then it went to it was. was um, I was still at the Buffalo News. Right. It was like last spring, I think. It was a story on uh, oh uh, the kneeling controversy. Oh, with uh, it was on Colin Kaepernick. He's had a few opinions on that. Yeah, I don't think he'd want to talk about that. It got through. It was channeled to him. He loves. Talking it was about not that. dismissed. It I'm was. Not yeah, it was. Uh, I thought it was going to happen. In fact, we had the discussion. We were laughing about it in the media room. You said you think you're going to get him, and I said I I give I thought it was fifty fifty. Right. He probably sat there at the Oval Office, of the desk, and I'm doing one today. said, "Oh, team wants to talk to me." That's a classic line too. It's like the it's right in the the Trump wheelhouse tremendous too. Tremendous deals. numbers of deals. I'm doing one today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the Bills... And what's Jeff Lipman? The Bills, 8-8. Uh, eight and eight. Do we want to temper that just for the sake Sorry, of discussion? 8-8. Who, eight who would be the easier get for this show? Donald Trump or Russ Brandon? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, what about Jeff Brandon? I, I think a Trump would be the easier get for this show. Jeff Brandon, any relation to... That, that should be put side by side with Wes Wexler. Uh, <laughs> Rob Glubkowski. <laughs> I, I don't know if Ross is coming on this show anytime soon. <laughs> he might. The invite is on the table if you're listening, Russ. I've reached out to Russ, although I think he might have a different phone number. I uh, Look, I've interviewed people with more, with more difficult circumstances than Russ Brandon. Yeah. And they've appreciated the experience. I interviewed Sherry Holcomb. That name doesn't ring a bell probably. But her story, no, her story, you might remember, she was the mother who gambled away her son's leukemia treatment money that was raised in a fundraiser at the casino downtown Buffalo because he was in Roswell. She was from um, uh, Cortland area, maybe Cortland, right in Cortland, and that's a three-hour drive. To Buffalo, and so she was with her son, staying in one of the hospital rooms, and she had nothing to do. Her son's dying, and she would go to the casino just to kill time, get her mind off things. Well, she ends up getting into trouble and loses all the money. And uh, she granted me an interview. She was she people wanted her dead. I mean, if you and that's what I centered the the story around were things that you would see on Facebook or message boards because the story made national headlines, um, like. Dateline and well, maybe not Dateline, but the Today Show, um, Nancy Grace, like all the provocative, sensationalized headlines that you see on the morning shows, CNN. And uh, she didn't do any interview, but she spoke with me and I reached out to her in a very certain way like I do. And that's how I I can't give away my secret sauce. Uh, But um, yeah, I I was like, it's just about being empathetic and saying, I'm going to give you a fair shake. And we'll sit down, no judgment. I'm not writing a column. I'm not going to rake you over the coals. And the story was, I think this could be anybody. This could be, this was some kid's mom. And the kid, by the way, the kid didn't, he, didn't, he was all right with it. He understood. Nobody ever asked the kid if he was upset with his mother. Um, 
But that's somebody's aunt. That's somebody's neighbor. That's somebody's cousin. Like it, it ha- that stuff happens. Yeah. I mean, she's not. But people wanted her dead. They wanted her. They, they say things like, "I want you to have your son's cancer. Oh. I want you to, you know, go kill yourself." All this stuff. And you said this: the kid did up, did end up uh, passing. No, no, oh, he, he did. He, he pulled through. Oh, I thought you said oh, he okay. pulled through. Wow, How did he they had pay a bone marrow it? transplant yeah, and everything. Geez. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. She was a nurse. She was a. Uh, she worked oh with God. people with disabilities. She had a very, you know, she lost her license. Her license was suspended. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's way worse than the situation Russ Brandon finds himself in to be considered public enemy of, of the world, and people wanting wanting you gone off the planet. OJ, yeah, that's. Um, I mean, on a much more trivial topic, but Aaron Mabin. I mean, people in Buffalo hate Aaron Mabin. And for me to be like, hey, Aaron, how about if I come and write a story about your time in Buffalo? I mean, who's going to be like, yeah, I can't wait to relive that. Come on to Baltimore. I'll tell you all about it. So, although that that's not as bad as Russ Brandon. Now I'm just lumping stories I've done in, on there. Tremendous amount of stories. Yeah, that's right. The big Aaron Mabin. In game. fact, I've done one today. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you retweet the CBS, whatever it was? NFL Today did something on him, right? Yeah. And you retweeted with your story or something? No, I didn't read the Buffalo News retweeted with my story. I just retweeted at Aaron Maben that it was a pleasure to get to know him in a different way other than football. No, I didn't tweet my link. Did not. That's that's from a long time ago. Yeah. It's not even your link anymore. No, I don't don't know. Does the link even exist anymore? It is very difficult when I've to find a story on the Buffalo News website, whether you do Google or go to the search thing. And mm-hmm. that's been uh, that's been my beef. I've said this on the show when I was a Buffalo News employee. It's there was um, what was I looking for recently? Oh, the Daryl Talley story. You think you'd be able to find my Daryl Talley story somewhere? Mm. There's another guy who, who was uh, Bjorn Nitmo was. Hard to find also. You had to go through extra steps to find these things. Mm. Those should be pretty easy to find. But I mean, it's not like he won two APSE awards or anything or whatever it was. It PFWA awards this year. Oh, I can't keep up, Mike. <laughs> Tremendous great. amounts of awards. <laughs> I just won one today, actually. <laughs> All right. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacumminglindsay.com. This is The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Sports writer Tim Graham. The Tim Graham Show. Now, Buffalo Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. And on the Fans app. Free to download in the App Store. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacumminglindsay.com. At VCL Niagara on Twitter, those are the guys who brought back the Tim Graham Show from the dead. It wasn't going to exist. They wanted to invest in local programming. And here we are. We thank them. You, the listener, should thank them. I wanted to take a few minutes to talk with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic about his recent story 
that you can find at The Athletic. I just tweeted it out. If you follow me on Twitter, you can uh, catch a link there. 30 prospects in 12 hours. A day on the college scouting trail with Bill's GM, Brandon Bean, in parentheses, and Joe Shane. Assistant Joe GM, Shane was there. Somebody, Joe Shane. somebody didn't think he was worthy of the headline. Well. I don't know. I guess, I guess not, but he was also there. I think there are a lot of people, and it's general managers too. It's not even assistant general managers. There are some people in the league that I hear their name, and I'm like, well, who's that again? Yeah, that's and Joe Shane. Every front office is different, and so not everybody has a GM and an assistant GM. Sometimes it's something different. The structure last year was such that Brian Gain was the number three, correct? Yeah, yeah. But he was probably but, number two. But then he got plucked to be a general manager, so. The hierarchy can be a little bit strange. That's the cool thing about the Bills front office, I think, because it's so unlike previous front offices. Because you take a look uh, at the guys who were in those positions most recently before Bean and Shane and Brian Gain, they're unemployed. Yes. Well, Doug Whaley is kind of employed. I mean, he's with the minor league, he's with this XFL. XFL. And uh, the other guy, his assistant, Jim Monis, is Jim Monis is hired. He is running a like a restaurant review app or something like that. That's Absolutely. not a joke. But you know what? I bet I wouldn't be surprised if Dan Morgan is a general manager before too long. Buddy Nix is out of it. He's on the rise. Uh, who else? Um, who was before Buddy Nix? Um, is a GM? Is Kelvin Fisher employed? I think Fisher uh, found a job somewhere. I mean, before... All those guys like... I mean, Mark uh, Levy. And then you're going back to um, oh, well, Tom Mark, Donahoe, yeah. who works for the Eagles now. And not in positions of, with the Steelers. Not in Tom big Donahoe positions. was actually mentioned in this story because he was there uh, at LSU for that LSU Bama game. So he's in some sort of well, Matt, set up the story role. for us so that way people in their mind's eye can get a picture as to what this story is about. The, it's a concept. You came up with a concept that you would think is not easily doable. With in today's journalism, but you had an idea and you pursued it. Yeah, I had pursued this idea with Doug Whaley before, and he was not interested. Um, well, neither was uh, the previous head of public relations. But the weird thing about this story is that a lot of people reached out, like, "How did you? How did that happen?" And on Wednesday of that week, I asked Derek Boyko. You know, I. Frame the idea to him. I said, Derek I think Boyko is being the, the head of PR for the yep, Bills. PR guy. I was like, I, I've always thought it would be cool to shadow a general manager for a day or a scout or an assistant GM, whoever it may be, just to see what their life is like on a typical Saturday. Because you and I had both t talked, to, had conversations with Brandon Bean on Saturdays, whether we're in a different city, like, hey, if, if you wanted to meet up or whatever. And he's always on the road scouting these games. Fridays, Sometimes he leaves to scout games. He would do double headers at times. And so I was like, it's a little bit different. It makes it a little bit unique more so than just, hey, let me follow him around for a day. And, you know, that afternoon, Boyko asked Brandon Bean. They called me up, and Bean was like, you can do it this weekend if you want. We're going to Ole Miss and LSU. And so I jumped on it, basically. He's like, meet us in Oxford we'll take you the rest of the way. And they fly with a private plane and have private cars. So it's not really the true area scout experience. But uh, You weren't in a car with a with a road map in the passenger right. seat uh, 
crudely folded up. Checking into a five cups know, of coffee. Econo Lodge. I'm assuming the they stay at nicer hotels than that, but the life of an area scout is definitely different from what we saw, but also the idea that the Bills give them the resources to do that because he was able to see, you know, as the headline said, you know, roughly 30 to 40 prospects in a, in a day. Uh, and really more than that because he flew out on Thursday to go to Mississippi State, and then they flew from there to Oxford to go to Ole Miss practice. Next day they watched Ole Miss play South Carolina, jumped in a plane, went down to see LSU-Bama, and they were the only – Brandon Bean was the only general manager I saw at either game, which I found – somewhat curious in the whole thing well i'm guessing you learned about that because well i read the story so and we've talked about it too so you did learn about why that is and we're talking right now with matthew fairburn of the athletic in uh all right let me start over let me reset that sentence as i stumble all through this segment matthew fairburn is here in studio he works for the athletic are right, you got that he wrote a story called 30 Prospects in 12 Hours a Day on the College Scouting Trail with Bill's GM, Brandon Bean, for The Athletic. All right, you guys got that? We are now talking about that story. All right, got that? Uh, I'm now going to uh, lead him with a question based on a, an answer I already know because I've spoken to Matt. All right, everybody got that? What did you learn, Matt, about why some GMs will go and watch these games in person uh, versus those who don't. Yeah, it's interesting because Brandon Bean puts a huge premium on it. He and Joe Shane both said, you know, when you're turning the card in, when you draft a guy in the first four rounds, it's hard to do if you haven't seen him in person, to which I found it kind of funny that a lot of guys weren't at this LSU-Alabama game. That could be for various different reasons. That game is a high-traffic game. The press box is really crowded. Traffic in general, I mean, 102,000 people are at that stadium. It's not an easy game to be at. But Mickey Loomis was two hours down the road. Uh, you know, he's the Saints general manager. Um, you could have, Wes Snead was two hours down the road because the Rams were playing in New Orleans right. that weekend. You could have five players in the top 15 drafted from those two schools. Right, like the driver on the way to the stadium asked Brandon Bean, like, who are you looking at? And he's like, basically both rosters. The whole It's like minor league. It's like the minor leagues, LSU, Alabama. But some gen Brandon Bean estimated that maybe half the general managers in the NFL travel to games. Some are too paranoid to step out of the office, and they want to have their eye on the, the team every day. Brandon... I guess has a good enough relationship with Sean McDermott to the point where he trusts Sean McDermott and they're in communication and technology is such that he can watch practice. So he's not, you know, shirking his duties by being on the road and seeing all these college games. But a lot of general managers, I mean, there are some general managers who don't start scouting the draft until after free agency. And that's insane. But they trust the guys well, beneath we, them. Well, we learned that at the Buffalo Bills, there was a general manager who didn't even scout underclassmen. Which now there's hundreds of those guys declaring each and every year. And the Bills already have grades and reports for many of them. They have... For those not aware of the reference, I'm referring to Doug Whaley, who and his entire staff did not scout 
juniors because they felt it was a waste of time because when really they it might was not the come opposite. out. It was really inefficient to do it that way. You're there anyways. Why not ask questions and gather notes? Now, that's the other interesting part of this whole thing. Some schools are more forthcoming than others and, and provide better access than others. The conditions scouting an LSU game are notoriously not very good because in years past, that was the first time Joe Shane, who's been an area scout forever before rising up the ranks, that was the first time he scouted a game at LSU because for the longest time they put the scouts in the stands, which is obviously you can't really work in those conditions. And they couldn't really work all that well uh, at the game anyways because they had stools in the back of the press press box with no tables in front of them or anything like that. So it wasn't the best working conditions, which maybe there's part of that for some of the GMs get a little bit, you know, tired of being on the road. It is it is a grind. I mean, we didn't land until I want to say 2.33. It was actually the day clocks changed, so we got an hour back. But it's a long day, and then they got to get up, and, you know, it's part of the 24-7 nature of the job. But there's probably, you know, I, I know John Dorsey's on the road a lot. Uh, Kevin Colbert from the Steelers is on the road a lot. I think it depends how the front office is structured in different places how much they trust the guys underneath them, the scouts underneath them. But it's like Brandon Bean put it, when the when the season ends, there's no more opportunities. That's it. You don't get to see the guy live anymore. And you can debate all you want, I guess, the merit of that. But for these guys, it's, you know, a critical part of, of what they do and, and a big piece of the puzzle. Talking to Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic about his recent story on getting on the plane and going down to SEC country to – take a look at a bunch of prospects. Uh, what were the parameters? Because there are some, you know, there's some secrets. I mean, there you mentioned some GMs are too paranoid to even leave the office. So uh, no matter how open a guy is, uh, like Brandon Bean was to give you this kind of access, he can't share his secrets with you, or at least he doesn't want you sharing secrets with the world. So what were was there anything that these guys were uneasy about in terms of, um, proprietary information not wanting to get out? They mostly didn't want specific names in there. And that was stuff that after the fact we kind of went through and said, all right, you know, do you, is this okay? Is this okay? And there were certain names which, for the most part, they didn't care that, obviously, that people knew that we were at Ole Miss and that we were at LSU because they said, Good luck guessing who we're going to pick. I mean, over the last course of three or four days, we'll have seen so many prospects that nobody will be able to, you know, we're doing our job by being here is what the way they looked at it. And so, but there were some names as after, you know, I went through the story. It's that not as like, though people are going to look at your story and say, oh my, the Bills are looking at Alabama and LSU guys. Right. As they Red alert. Be. Man, right. which one are they going to pick in the first round? There's only six. <laughs> right. Even then, even if that were the case, even if Brandon Bean said right now, I am going to pick an Alabama or LSU player in the first round, you still wouldn't know who he's picking no idea. because there's <laughs> right. so many of those prospects. And they could be, you know, that's like what Joe Shane said. He's like, we went to this game last year and didn't pick anybody. It's part of, you know, sometimes you're going to eliminate guys and stuff like that. So well, 
And it's just one piece of the puzzle, not to interrupt you. I mean, it's just one game, in this case, two games that they went to. But then we're going to get to the Senior Bowl, and we're going to, oh, they interviewed this guy. And then they're going to get to the Combine. They interviewed this guy. Like, they get to the, you know, pre-draft interviews. Like, by the end of the day, by the time you get to the end of April, you're going to have every single name with some sort of connection to the Bills. And good luck trying to figure out. Well, and it's not like I jumped on a plane and went out to Weber State, you know, where they were scouting Taron Johnson, which they did in person last year. Joe Shane saw Harrison Phillips, Josh Allen, and Taron Johnson all in one weekend. And that might have been a little bit different if it was like, yeah, this weekend we're... Yeah. If you're going out to the Mountain West or what's Weber? Is Weber in uh, the Big West? Yeah, that's not even division. That's not even FBS, right? I don't think it is. And so that's a... You know, a case where it was Joe it's where Shane. where the guys go when they can't get into BYU. Right, and a guy from the Panthers were, like, the only two schools yeah. or only two NFL teams there. It's Everybody one. knows who you're looking at because, you know, Taron Johnson's kind of a, a, you know, a name at that point. Right. But So that's a little bit different. But, yeah, they didn't – and there was, like, a freshman that was making a ton of plays. They didn't – you know – and I didn't sit there and say, oh, what do you think of A.J. Brown, you know, Ole Miss's big-time receiver? Or, oh, what do you think of Greg Little? Ole Miss's offensive tackle because a that's information that they're not want to give want to give up and b like we said it's one small piece of the puzzle watching that game where there are many months to go in the scouting process before they figure out although I did find it interesting they're going to pretty much have their board framed out you know December draft meetings happen and they're going to have a pretty good idea of where a lot of these guys stand and then it's a matter of moving guys up and down there's going to be hours and hours of meetings in February and as the process goes along. But um, that's where the preparation seems so much different from, like you said, where, you know, they didn't scout underclassmen. They're going to have so many grades on so many underclassmen and really have a good framework of the board when they get through with December draft meetings. It was a fascinating story because it's a look that you don't get, and I highly recommend people check it out. Um, and you'll, you'll need to subscribe to The Athletic to read it, but that's the type of content that we give you. So we think it's worth it. Uh, we generally uh, – we're batting almost like a 1,000 in terms of feedback anyway that I get when people say it's worth it, you know, it's worth more. If you charge more, I'd pay for it. Um, I guess I have, we had one – I had one guy complain about it because he was having trouble with his login or something like that with the app uh, and our – athletic uh technology people jumped right on it in twitter and by the end of the thread he was like oh great i wasn't aware of that and so i guess that's one complaint i've received even it's six months i've been there rodak doesn't even complain about it that's right hey i not to our faces anyway (laughs) i I, he never would if he complained look but we know how he operates big crooked that he is (laughs) not in our presence you know he's ripping it because not in other people's presence. I've, like right now, when the mics are off, he is anybody who's not represented in this room right now. He he'll just go ahead and rip. I've never had a problem with the athletic website. Is that what you're talking about? You said the login, the experience, no, in just general. the experience. You know the the content, the content, the personalities. I have a complaint. The four point nine star app. What's that, Jonah? Well, I've been a subscriber since more than a year ago, prior to last football season, when it was in much fewer cities. And I never got a free T-shirt. I never got a free hat. 
They keep running these promotions. I'm you know you can do it. it at the beginning. You can do it. I, I tweeted that there was a guy who wanted the he had he had uh, re-upped his subscription right before we did our Black Friday sale, and you can do it now. You need to. When is your subscription up? It just renewed again. Okay, early you can September probably. Okay, you can go. Um, it's on my feed. I'll find it for you. But no, there's a way, and you can renew it for another forty percent off. And get uh, and get the shirt. There were never any free hats. Yeah, no, I'm mistaken there about should the be hats. Free I don't hats, even though. wear hats. Nor will I really wear this shirt a lot. But I just feel taken advantage of being an early subscriber. <laughs> it's like you know, if you ordered Sports Illustrated before they started giving away those football phones, the sneaker they don't phone. just call you up and say, "Hey, you get a football phone now." That's right. No, There's I also think something there where if you got in at not as good of a discount and it's within a certain amount of time, and you let them know, they'll. They'll match it. And I think same goes for the T-shirt. I think that's true. In fact, there's a lot of people I'm convinced that keep saying, I never got my T-shirt just so they can get another one. Probably. Everybody loves the T-shirt. It's a good T-shirt. You can never really have enough. I have a secret that I'm going to confess, a confession to make, I should say. I can't wear my T-shirt because I'm getting too fat. (laughs) I normally wear an XL uh, up until about six months ago, I started going to double XL. So when I started at the athletic, I got the double XL and it arrived and it didn't fit me. The double I think XL, I might double be small. X. the That's double X doesn't fit me. <laughs> oh, so, sounds like our friend. Yeah. Yikes. Whose friend? Uh, a, I don't want to say his name, but well, <laughs> well, you can't just. This isn't. Uh, this isn't like we're not sitting around the bar right now. You can't just go ahead and start like telling inside jokes. Well, I did. did. You're just gonna have to make up a fat person. There was a name Bills right coach now. who told Matthew that, "Damn, I'm getting pretty fat." Essentially, is the see the now Michael's telling my stories. Yeah, telling tales out of school. Oh, well, you were the one who pulled it out of me, so I'm sorry. Look at that face. That's a face. Pulled of a, it out of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, you're turning it's a face of a lover right there. All right, then. I think we need to go to Joel Staniszewski. We're going to hit a break, and we're going to get to Joel Staniszewski. He's going to bail Mike Rodak out of this situation. Please do. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Sports writer Tim Graham, the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Thank you all for coming. I've traveled all across the fabric of space time. We could do a podcast and it would be a million times better than whatever that drivel was we were listening to. The Tim Graham Show, now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, and on the Fan's app, free to download in the App Store. Jonah Bronstein says that I drag out the uh, Viola Cummings and Lindsay uh, tag a little bit. Why? Is it because when I trip over it and I just make a big deal of it? No, I don't really even think that's a bad thing. But if you're thinking, as you maybe alluded to, that you're not doing it enough, you're definitely doing it enough. Giving them enough love and long intros. No. It could never be enough. I don't think so. I mean, they they brought the show back, Jonah. You wouldn't be here if it weren't for Viola Cummings and Lindsay. That's true. And I appreciate everything they've done, and then the few people I know up there are good people. I drove by it the other day. Looks One cool. One person I know. Cool place. Did you know, Matt Fairburn, that uh, Viola Cummings and Lindsay is your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys? I do, because I'm a loyal listener. 
You can call him at 285-9555 or visit him on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Uh, without further ado, we need to hear the latest from our man out in Vegas. From Buffalo to Las Vegas, it's Joel Sanchevsky. The Bills make me wanna The best gambling advice from Vegas. It's Joel Sanchevsky. Joel Staniszewski from Sloan, from St. Joe's, from Buffalo State. He's been out in Las Vegas for 14 years as a handicapper, an odds maker, and an industry analyst. He joins us every week to talk about the betting scene around the Buffalo Bills. And Joel, taking a look at this spread for Miami, uh, I think that the betters had the same first impression as I did when I saw it open at six and a half point uh, underdogs. Uh, for the Bills, uh, it's now been bet down to some places two points. It's down to four and a half. Um, yeah. Um, what are your uh, thoughts? When I first saw that line, I thought it was a bad line. I immediately logged into my app on my phone. I bet the Bills uh, money line uh, plus 220, which is now down to as low as plus 175 for them to win outright this That's, game. Uh, $10. Uh, your bet is $10 to win 22 Right. And, and then you uh, get your bet back. Yeah. So excellent. Yeah, that that there were two numbers that really jumped off the page to me. Uh the Bills number being way too high, um, and the Falcons number, which has completely flipped. They were open as a three point dog and they're now a one point favorite. So I bet those two games early. Uh, I'm just gonna kinda wait and see how that plays out, see if I want to uh play on the other side to get some get some action on both sides in running or whatever. Um I did the same thing last week. I bet the Bills money line to win outright. Contemplating bet, contemplated betting on Jacksonville in running when they were down 14 points, but I stayed away from it and just rode the rode the Bills wave to victory. Look at you. What do you think about your Bills possibly going eight and eight or uh, nine and seven? They do have the easiest schedule um, remaining. It's hard to say what the Bills and Josh Allen at the helm will do Wait, on hang on one sec. Mike Rodak says it's the second. No, he's going based on ESPN right, metrics. But what's, but what's the other one? Use. What's the, who's, who's got the, the Titans, easiest? Titans the Titans do. have an easy one. Yeah. Okay, just throwing that out there. Okay, all right. Thanks, thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just Tim, actually, who cut in. The human speed bump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's very possible. I'd like to see the Bills, I mean, I'd like to see the Bills go on a win streak. Uh, more than two games. I'd like to see them do something like this on the road. Um, I, I really believe regardless of the outcome this week, the Bills will be favored against the Jets at home. Um, obviously, That takes away lose, one of my favorite ongoing stories of the year, of the Bills yep, I being really, I, they the were Bills win looking and, like they and, were going to be the first playoff team in NFL history to then come back the next season and be an underdog for all 16 games. Yep, I hate to burst your bubble, but uh, the Bills, depending upon how they play this week and how the Jets play this week, they'll be somewhere between a two-and-a-half to a five-point favorite at home. Um, obviously, if they lose by a bunch and get injuries, then obviously those those numbers are out the window. And Looks like Sam through. Darnold's coming back too, Joel. Yeah, I don't think that's that big of a difference. I mean, maybe that would give them a, a half a point or a point 
bump towards the Jets because people think he's better than McCown, but he hasn't shown me enough to, to warrant moving a line two or three points because of it. And even if that's the case, the Bills will still be a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Let me ask you this, Joel, regarding the Bills as a futures uh, prop. Um, Bovada, um, who sends out uh, every week an updated list of its odds to win the Super Bowl, to win the division, to make the playoffs, all that stuff. They've moved Buffalo from a thousand to one to win the Super Bowl to seven fifty to one. Now, hear me out. This is there's a there's. I'm not saying that you should anybody should go bet this, but and by the way, Jacksonville has slid from one eighty to one down to four hundred to one. They are the they are just one spot ahead of the Bills in terms of winning the Super Bowl. Not going to happen. But how about this? So if they're taking money on the Bills to win the Super Bowl. You then go to their next uh, prop. It's to win the AFC East. That bet is off the board because the Patriots are so far ahead. And then it's also off the board. Prop bet, yes or no, will the Bills make the playoffs? So Bovada is taking money on the Bills to win the Super Bowl, but not for the Bills to make the playoffs. How do they win the Super Bowl if they don't make the playoffs? Um, it's a good question. Um, I think they take probably Mike. Uh, some books take down uh, individual game or individual team futures. Um, if they're taking down the Bills to make the playoffs, yes or no? Did they take down every team to make the playoffs, yes or no? No, a, a, bu- a few. There are there are a bunch. Um, I would venture to guess because the Bills' chances of actually making the playoffs are so small that they just took it off the board because they know they're just going to get tons of no bets. And them moving the bills from a thousand to one to seven fifty to one doesn't necessarily mean they took action on the bills. That means they're moving around numbers based upon bets that they've gotten. And they most books want to hold their keep their hold percentages on futures in the thirty percent range. So if you drop if you drop the Seahawks, we'll say from five to one to six to one, somebody's got to go up to to even that out. Just like if someone gets goes from three to one to even money somebody's odds have to go up so as you as you fluctuate teams up and down you want to keep your hold percentage and that's in, in that same ballpark so you kind of just fudge the numbers and you kind of see where you want to go and who can go up and who can go down it doesn't necessarily mean they're taking action on it it just means they need to move some people around because of realistic moves that they have to do which would be jacksonville going down and, and a couple other teams, I'm sure, moving around. All right. Well, Joel, thanks for giving us the breakdown on the Bills. Uh, if you were able to get on them at uh, six and a half, that looks like it's a uh, favorable bet with the way things are shifting. Thanks for explaining it to us. All right. Take care, guys. That's Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. I want to thank uh, Big Crooked Mike Rodak, the co-host for today. Uh, the human speed bump, I think I'm going to go ahead and just keep calling him that. Maybe Big Crooked's out the window. Thanks to Matt Fairburn for coming in the studio for a full two hours, putting up with all the shenanigans. Always adds so much to the show. Jonah Bronstein here handling things for uh, Periscope on Twitter and Bobby Rosati handling the switchboard and all kinds of calls today. Thanks to Warren Moon, Hall of Fame quarterback. Thanks to John Vogel of The Athletic for coming on to talk Sabres. This has been the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacumminglindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Enjoy Syracuse basketball.